Hello, this is Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Abin, yeah. It's the Black Hunter Blokes tuning the fat with me, Kev Dillon, Lee Cadman and Tom Garrett. And today our special guest is Joe Plum. Now, Joe Plum has done so many things, despite of so many things. At a young age, been diagnosed with Asperger's, ADHD. But as I often say, this thing, you know, this disability, if we call it, this isn't just define us. This isn't all we are with so many different fractures. And what he's gone on to do so many different things, working with wonderful organisations, and they're branching off into other things. So, Joe, thank you ever so much, bro, for coming on. Thank you for having would, me. Would you like to just tell us a, a bit about your life and how you got started on this journey? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Joe. Um, I'm 23 years of age. I live in uh, Cambridgeshire now. Uh, and from a young age, I was always different. I was bullied uh, from the first day of school, really, and never had any friends throughout my whole school life. Um, always labelled a bad child um, by teachers and parents, peers, whatever. And it wasn't necessarily being bad. I was just different. Um, and the awareness around mental health wasn't great back then when I was in school, but I was diagnosed with autism from, uh, the age of seven. And for me, that diagnosis was great. You know, it gave, it helped give me a path and find a structure in a way that helped me more and helped me progress into life. But I was singled out every day, um, I was physically bullied, verbally, cyber, like I, I it couldn't escape it. Um, tried taking my own life many times. Mm-hmm. The first time I tried to take my own life, I was 12. Um, and things just got progressively worse, like the hateful comments. I was, I was just, I hated myself completely. Um, when I was 13, I started my own campaign, which went global, called Stand Up, Speak Out, uh, which uh, very quickly got into the press, got into the news, TV, um, worked alongside some great people like James Arthur, Sunita, um, and that was to make change, to raise awareness not only of bullying itself, but autism as well, and to make change um, and that may carries I say, on. May, may I say something, Joe? I mean, I was bullied as a child, and um, those scars always stick with you for life, don't they? So to be so brave at the age of thirteen, you know, when all when you're in the mix of it, it takes absolute bottle and you know inner strength. Yeah, it, it was difficult, and these things, you know, every I have a down day every now and then. That's also That's down to what I'm diagnosed with, um, but. It's also those memories never leave you. You know, it's it's like a bit of paper. You can crunch up a bit of paper, but you can never. Once you've done that, you can never smoothen it out again. And that is exactly what bullying is. If you want to show it in a physical form, scrunch up paper and try and iron it flat again. You can't. And that's exactly what bullying does to 
to anyone that's been through it. And, I, you know, I was lucky. My family were very supportive. Um, but unfortunately, things got very bad. I was put in a psychiatric unit and it was unsafe for me to live at home. So I went to care. How old was you uh, then? Sorry. Uh, I was 16. Um, and I spent a year and a half. I was in and out first time. Um, didn't have a great experience in the first unit. Um, I'm diabetic as well. They refused to give me my insulin and I ended up in yeah. something called DKA. Yeah. Um, and they refused to take me to hospital um, until a parent saw me and my mum and dad were rallying. And then they did it again. So I was then uh, put on a section by the General Hospital in Sheffield um, and then put back into a unit in Northampton where we were really good. I finally got the therapy I needed and they were great. And I kind of found a, a safe haven in that because it was just being myself. I didn't have to worry about what other people might have thought about me. Everyone that was in there, we were all the similar age, but we were all in there for a similar reason. Different conditions, but similar reason. And all of us had been bullied as well, which is really interesting. You know, everyone who was in there for mental health uh, issues, um, illnesses, they'd all had trauma from being bullied. Um, and that was a platform to expand my voice even more. Um, I had to stop Stand Up Speak Out because of the media attention. Uh, it just got a bit too much from going from someone that nobody wanted to know, that had no friends, to all of a sudden just in this spotlight. It was... Was that, was that overwhelming, Joe? As you say, going from having no I one had, to everyone. I had so many breakdowns. I got so addicted to social media because it was almost... Yes, I didn't know these people face-to-face, -face, but it was the first kind of time I'd had... I'd, I'd socialised. Um, and then going into a unit when you take had having everything taken away from you, that was a struggle in itself. Almost like, withdrawal, like withdrawal symptoms, almost. Yeah, exactly. Social media is a drug. If you if you become addicted to it, it's exactly the same as a drug addiction. And to get away from it, especially now when tech is so widely available and it's in lockdown, um, it's how we all communicate. Um, can, can I ask you, Joe? Sorry. Um, how do you find that now, and how do you deal with the social media now? Um, because we, we, well, I say we found you. Tom found you through social media. You've obviously still got quite a large following. So, how do you separate that now? Um, have you learned from your mistakes, basically? I've learned from my mistakes. I mean, there's some days where I post a lot, but I schedule a lot. I try and plan ahead. Um, I listen to the news and see what's kind of topical because I think that's really important. You know, look at the main stories, of, especially around mental health, what are people struggling with, with and what messages can I promote? What can I do to make an impact for something that's relevant that people will see that could hopefully save a life? Um, my partner is very good. She keeps me grounded. If I'm going 150 miles an hour, she will quite happily tell me. She'll take my phone off me. Um, but... You know, these the, it, these things are difficult. I, I want to make change. But it, and it's not all done by social media at the moment. In lockdown, it's very difficult because we have to try and work differently to reach people, to 
do a counselling session to make sure people are safe. We can't do that face-to-face. It has to be done on some form of technology. So, uh, you know, structure isn't, and routine. Isn't that mad, Tom? You know, because we're all Hello. clapping for the NHS and we're all doing this. And, <clears throat> but if I need to go and see the doctor, I have to see the doctor. But I'm, yeah. I'm mentally ill. I can't go and sit down on someone's settee wearing a mask, wearing a visor and say, I'm not well. No, can you yeah. do it over Skype? Well, I'm yeah. paranoid. I'm paranoid yeah. about my wife hearing me. I'm, I'm worried about my daughter hearing this. Yeah. Do you think that would just be rocket science? Get that person into a safe environment, let him confess his sins, then send him out? Yeah, well, it's, it's like you said. I mean, you can't, from my own experience, you know, sitting in, I think we, we chatted about this before where, you know, you see that many different people when you go to the doctor, it's rarely you'll see the same person twice. And, you know, having to, you know, I used to go in there with this piece of paper. I must have had this piece of paper for about probably about eight or nine years. You know, the amount of times I showed that to different people because I physically couldn't, I got to a point where I couldn't even talk about it anymore. Um, I don't think counselling would have worked for me online personally, like you say. I think when you're in your own house, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when you're in your own house, you know, there's a lot of, thoughts you know where you are surrounding you um i think like you say if you go and sit in a room with someone you enter in their place aren't you so you know like you say really realistically you know put a mask on you know have a screen in front of you and they should be carrying on doing it really i mean you can still go to a and e and i mean the one thing which annoys me that the government especially with this um third lockdown you can have a so a support bubble you can yeah. still go around to your support bubble's house if you are struggling and you do need to go and see someone it might not have been headline news and they might not have emphasized it but you can still do that obviously don't flout the rules but don't suffer alone if you need to see someone face to face get out of your house you can do it and no one is going to stop you because by law it's written in if you need to, to keep yourself safe and to safeguard yourself, you are allowed to do that. But also, post-lockdown, post-pandemic anxiety, people who suffer with anxiety on a day-to-day basis don't want to go out and face the world. Many people keep themselves inside, and that's detrimental to their own mental health. But now what this is doing is going, actually, it's okay, I've got no other choice, I can kind of mask that what happens when we get out of this and we all have to face the world again, then we've got another major, well, this major is, issue to deal with. This is what I was, I think we spoke about this the other day on the show. Um, you know, it, it, after the first lockdown, you know, mental health, it was really on the rise. People were talking about it. And same again the other day, as soon as the news got announced, yeah, everyone was talking about it, tweeting, Instagram. Um, but like you say, this has got to be something at this time, third time lucky, we've got to take this back into the real world because it's all right talking about it now, you know, while we're in lockdown and, and all getting together. But like you say, you go back out into the real world, you get stuck in the same cycle again, you're back at home. And as you've just said, Joe, you know, we've got to do something to keep this going for good, really. Yeah, mental health awareness days, mental health awareness months, they're great. But why we shouldn't just have a day or a month. Yeah. No matter what, it should be talking all year round. that awareness it's like anti-bullying week great week love it promotes a message but why do we need one week where it basically goes especially to young people that go anti-bullying week it's almost like 
oh, we've got to be nice to this person for this week. Yeah. Wanted it's to be almost, kind of, yeah, but talk it, about it anyway. It's almost like your New Year's resolution, isn't it? You do it for a week and then you give it up instead of thinking, well, I bet we just do day resolutions where each day I'm going to try and be kind. Yeah, I just don't set any now. <laughs> no, I don't. I've just accepted facts. I'm, I'm a little fat <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, Joe, back to when you were 16 in the psych ward. Could you, because that's where we all jumped in, sorry, could you carry on with that? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So when I was in the psych ward, I was, uh, you know, in and out for most of a year and a half. Um, and even after that, I, I was, had the meeting with social services and it was, you know, put into a semi-independent flat. So I was taken out of my family home and um, safe for them, they couldn't, do much and I was just all over the place and that was difficult in itself you know there's the social care anyone that might watch this or listen to this uh, has been in care or is in the system knows it's really not great um so that was then another platform for me to go as well as the mental health um I was the um the chair of uh, children care council so I got a group of children that are in care together who were the same age as me sat down and we made the change we went to social workers and the director of children's services and said look this is what it's like instead of you going oh yeah we're going to do this do that listen to us make these changes we created a social work academy from that as well. So now in the recruitment selection process, instead of just going to uni and becoming a social worker, you also have to go through interviews with children in care. Um, they give their feedback. If they don't think that your your approach was good enough, um, then they will say, and that has to be considered. But they also are part of the training. They will go into universities. They will do the talks um to really get that one-to-one impact to one what it's like to be in care to don't just keep coming and going because many people yes my story is different but many people in care have had people walking in and out of their lives that causes upset the instability and then moving on to independence it doesn't work and mental health even in the social care system it's not considered you know you have your pathway plan they don't want to know about your mental health they just want to know basically when you reach this reach 18 you're going to go into the leaving care system get a pa instead of a social worker get your own flat we're going to leave you we don't care about your mental health pretty much um my how psychiatry many how many kids have been thrown on that scrappy of, he's just a naughty kid oh he's violent oh she's a what's made this child because children aren't born messed up it's our circumstances isn't it and what our circumstances are i would say i I wouldn't use that as an excuse you know i have seen some things where actually you know circumstances for me i could have gone one or two ways i don't want to make myself sound like a saint because i'm definitely not but i could have gone one or two ways and I, i wanted to make something of my life and make a difference instead of just going, yeah, well, this has happened to me. I'm just going to go do what I want now. But with a young child that's had not even someone, parents are so close to us. They're supposed to love us unconditionally. If you haven't had that, that's going to cause massive issues 
throughout your whole life yeah. and social workers coming and going that's going to cause more issues because then the question comes back to them and their mental health going I'm obviously not good enough they just don't want to be around me so that's when the other issues start to crop up um, and that's that needs to be considered so much my psychiatrist is banned from my, my pathway plan meeting he wanted to come it was banned by um, the, she was the director of the leaving care team at the time. Uh, really wasn't a nice lady. Um, but yeah, she banned him, but he turned up, he opened the door and just barged his way in. He proper fought, fought my corner and my parents' side and made sure that they listened to what was right because I was going to die. Yeah, otherwise, I'd, I'd taken so many overdoses, I'd I just put myself in such a bad state that I was very close to either being put in hospital for the rest of my life or very close to dying. Joe, can I, sorry to cut in, but can I ask a bit more about your family? Um, Because a bit of that relates to me because I have a disabled daughter and um, I can't imagine what that was like for them, having the son kind of whisked away into this place even though you, they, they probably thought it was going to help, it's still a really scary thing. Have you have you talked to your family about that since? Yeah, I talk to my family on a daily basis. You know, they've got massive involvement in my life. And, um, you know, it's something that needed to be done to help me. But I can't, you know, from a parent's point of view, it's such a it scary thing. And... I think there was there's so much fear not seeing what's going on, but also I was a lot of the time left to my own devices. To the support, the care just wasn't there, so um, it was very scary for them. You know, I feel awful for what I've also put my family through. I think the reality of mental health and something that we need to realise and that it's okay. You shouldn't beat yourself up a lot for it. You should be remorseful. My mixed personality disorder, you know, when that finally got diagnosed, instead of just bipolar and a load of different diagnoses when I was 16, finally, at the age of 18, I could be diagnosed with the proper condition that matched that I actually had and go on the right therapy. I, I, I was I was loopy when I got out of the unit. I had I was hallucinating. I was just... I didn't know what was going on and I used my social media accounts as a way to kind of torment my family and I can't apologize for that enough you know and there's been a lot of building bridges it's been so hard for them to watch and for them to understand you know they're never going to have that first-hand understanding like I'd love to be able to go this is what it's like I wouldn't want them to understand because what was going on inside my head was just it, it was it was horrible beyond words um but they'd obviously want to understand and they had to deal with the brunt of that as well but I'm very lucky they are very supportive you know they they are by my side and we've built those bridges yes the memories are still tough but that's a reality of mental health as bad as it might be for us, there are people around us as well that it does directly impact. And 
that also causes more trauma and more problems for many people because you feel bad for that. You want to beat yourself yeah. up. You want to do all these things to yourself and yes, feel bad, feel guilty, but it's not something that you can, you can help. Don't use it as an excuse to say, oh, yeah, I, was, you know, I was doing this because of mental health. But a lot of the time, it's not your fault. There is a reason for it. And again, this is why we need more awareness, more conversations and more actually just a stark reality. Don't sugarcoat things. Let's just all be open and talk about it. It doesn't matter who you are. It's not a weakness in, in itself. Just being honest and talking about it is a massive strength and it's going to stop you from reaching that breaking point. Well, that's why we started is to get... Um... <clears throat> from GB boxers to doormen to window cleaners to jelly stackers, saying, you know, it's all right. You, you sometimes go home and have a cry on the settee, or sometimes you have a panic attack. doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're human. No. And I think more us, us guys talk about it. And I think that was the best lesson I learned, because I, I grew up thinking I was broken, I was broken. Who'd ever want me? I'm broken. Then you realise we're all broken in some ways. Maybe mm-hmm. we disguise it a bit better. But we've all got our down floors. Our, oh, I'm too fat. Oh, I'm too good looking. Oh, they only want me for this. They only... Once you break it down and realise we are all human, that was the best thing. And we are all different. And we're all well. bloody different. Thank God we're not all like me. <laughs> Thank God we're not all like me. It's mad. But that's what makes the world a great place. You know, things are a bit messed up at the moment. You know, there's a lot going on around the world. I'm not even going to get into politics. I'm just going to keep it COVID friendly. Um, but I, want, I wanted to mention something, Joe. Sorry to interrupt you. But like we're talking about like positive people in your life. And that, that psychiatrist who barged in there to save you. What, how did you form such a good relationship with him that he was going to jeopardise himself? Do you know what? It was, it was him and, uh, well, I had a couple of CPNs. Um, my first one, my community practitioner nurse. He was great. And I remember the first time he just said, you need to stop being a, uh, it was a C word. A so-and-so. Honestly, yeah. But I was, <laughs> I was shocked. I, I literally, I, I didn't speak for 15 seconds. But from that moment, just someone being a bit more informal. Yes, yeah. he followed all the right policies, procedures. But for someone just to understand, just have a conversation and not make it, like it was a depressing subject all the time. He was serious, but he would have a laugh. Like humor would be my way of dealing with things. And he was so good at finding out who that person was that he was in therapy with, that he was helping. And then I think that that skill I think that skill can't be taught though. I think you either are that way or you're not. Yeah, exactly. But he also had a background in mental health. Yeah, you know, it was, it was that that first-hand understanding, which is something that we should just have in the mental health service anyway. Like, just anyone who might have any diagnosis, just get them safeguarding trained, get them trained up to help people. Peer-to-peer mentoring is such a a, a great tool, and we need to utilize that especially you know you could get volunteers in i'd happily volunteer every day a week a couple of hours after a full work day if it meant that one it was free and 
easing the pressure on the NHS, but it would genuinely help people. And that was the same as my psychiatrist, Dr. Chad Lavardler. Um, I could never say that. Mate. It well, good. So it's no, he he was amazing, and he just got down the level. He was a very calm person, but he knew his stuff. But he wanted to involve my family. It wasn't me going in with my mixed personality, maybe saying this one day and another thing the other day, and then someone taking just me and basically putting my family as the blame. He wanted everyone involved because he wanted to help me and get me to a place where I understood myself, my condition, how to handle it and how to live a happier life. And he fought my corner. It was the last time I ever saw him when he came into that, that meeting um, because he moved, unfortunately. And, uh, and you could have wrote his name on a letter. Honestly, I'd have no idea. I'd have to search. <laughs> I've probably got it somewhere amongst my many medical notes. Um, but no, it, it was it was amazing. And uh, you know, without people like that, yeah, I, I don't know where I'd be now. But it's amazing when these people come into your life, isn't it? And that one person can send your life that way to the good or that way to the bad, and Thank God then people, then good people steer us in the right direction. Yeah, and they kept me grounded. You know, this has inspired me to do more of what I do today, to link everything with the bullying in. And like I said, the social media side of things. Like I went from a nobody to uh, I've just shut down my other Twitter account because there was just so much rubbish on it. But that that was the Twitter account. It went up to 148,000 followers. And it, it was mad. And even my Twitter now, you know, I've just started that off, but it's 15.7 thousand and 64,000 on Facebook. It added up, but it, it was so overwhelming going from hating myself, being a nobody, to people knowing me. And I had to utilize that in the right way. And what I try and do is, yes, talk about what I'm going through. Like I had a cry the other day when we were put into lockdown. I just had a meltdown. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I know I I'm not you're the only one though, mate. You weren't the only one. Oh, I knew I wasn't, but that's such a helpful thing. With this whole situation, there are so many people in the same situation. So it stops some of that feeling of isolation. But I, I'm in a better, a better position than a lot of other people that might be out there. But I wrote about it on social media because a lot of the stuff that I put up, it might seem to many people that oh, I just don't struggle. I live a nice life. I don't struggle. It's nice and plain sailing. And I had to say that. Like, I know it may seem this way on one side, and it's like looking on King Kardashian's Instagram or whoever you follow. You know, they looks like such a, gl- a glamorous life and perfect lifestyle. But actually behind these computer screens, behind my posts, there is trauma, there is hurt, and there's real, real struggles. It's not just because I post this. I am struggling too, but I want you to know that because it's okay and because I'm a man and it's okay to admit I am okay. So it got other people talking about how they were feeling and that's the aim. You know, if I can 
it's not talking about me necessarily it's putting out quotes yeah. and doing some check-ins and instead of having these helplines are great like I'm shout are amazing I love texting them if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed but on social media we're all on it and because I'm safeguarding trained and I do all the other things that I do with the charity having my inbox is open it feels a bit informal even if it's just for a chat around or even if you're worried stressed and anxious hopefully just having that there might save a life and we just all need to be there for each other right now not even just right now all year round every year just checking in on each other because it's so important well you know at the start of the first lockdown i really thought this is what the world needed because we were all in together and you'd be shouting over the next door neighbor going do you need any bread i'm going down the shop orders do you need some milk and then it only seemed very short-lived within two months it was no one talks to each other yeah like you'd walk down the road you you hadn't seen no one you'd go you're right john or you're right, Bert, and you'd be there talking to a complete stranger for half an hour because you're both lonely. Great. Now, this one, you walk up, you, people almost try and shoulder barge you. It seems like they've taken the kindness and we've just thrown it out the window and put loads of frustration. Well, frustration, hate, and who can I take my bad mood out on? Exactly. And, you know, it's the first lockdown, for me, I, I worked day and nights back to back. Um, pretty much seven days a week I got half a Sunday off I just, my way of coping it got to a point where when I had these jobs and I loved doing them and I didn't know which one to give up it was routine especially with the um, autism like my routine is key it's key for anyone but when it was broken when it, the first one was announced I was a mess but I needed to get out of this really bad kind of habit that I had with working because it wasn't healthy also I wanted to move things further in my relationship with my partner Emily and hello Emily <laughs> I think she's upstairs at the moment <laughs> <laughs> but um no um I, I mid lockdown I moved in with her I made that difficult decision to move out of my first place that I could call my own and that I became very comfortable in it life just slowed down so much and I didn't focus on having the most up-to-date phone anymore or whatever like just going outside and hearing the birds tweet just sitting on my doorstep socially distanced with my neighbors having a glass of Guinness uh, random things but the simplest of things I appreciated so much and then it it kind of forced me to make a good decision to make that scary step, that leap into something more with Emily as well, which has created our life. Well, can I mention that? Because, I mean, when you first move in with your park, A, it's scary, but you always think, well, if it flops, I can go, I can go out. But when you're moving in with someone and you, you're locked in with them, that's a very big step because... You think, well, I can't go anywhere else now. <laughs> no, it's, it's it was a very big step. But when I say we are like the same person, it's it's quite yeah. just some of the the weirdest things you'd expect someone to come out with, and then at the same time. Um, 
but you know we've we've always been very open and honest you know Emily's got similar struggles to myself but we talk about that and we always have a debrief like yeah. in the evenings we sit down debrief about the day what you're stressed about because that's important but for both of our mental health and well-being it's something that keeps chatting keeps a conversation puts us both on each other's level so it doesn't get to that point yeah that's, so, yeah, that's so important yeah i was about to say kev I, i've I spent years not talking to to my wife about anything um probably for not for fear of her leaving me but for fear of her thinking bad of me when she, she wouldn't she, you know it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been possible but i think men keep so much back from their partners it's unreal and we do really need to start speaking out and and, and talking to them more so they have an understanding um so you know you've got off definitely on the right foot there yeah absolutely you know i'm yes she i'll annoy her till i probably annoy her more than i think i do and, yeah, <laughs> i guarantee you know i did and you know she gets on my nerves too, but that that's that, that's just reality <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, but no, she she's always by my side. She's helped me out a lot. You know, I've I've got a lot of medical conditions. I just Christmas Eve, no, it's the twenty third. But I was I got blue lighted into hospital. I had a couple of seizures. Um, I've got a large cyst attached to the nerves of my brain, so I, I get quite a lot of migraines along with diabetes and getting headaches for ages and she woke up in the middle of the night she knows that I don't like ambulances being called but she made that decision she was there by my side she got me out she looked after me and she she is my rock and that communication kind of strengthens that bond between us both and if anything, as well, lockdown kind of realised that people weren't with the right person. Yeah. Um, what did I really like? Di- divorce lawyers were having a field day. Um, that, that was the what was that? The Daily Stars. Uh, probably not the best new, newspaper to quote there, but yeah, statistics rose quite a bit. But I think it put the focus on actually what makes a true relationship as well. Might yeah. seem a bit corny. But it's funny, uh, oh. Joe. Like, you now, how old are you now? Sorry, 23. 23. And like, when you start on your journey at 13, who would have thought this was possible? Because me being 37 now, being my case, nine years, I've got a five year old daughter. If you'd have talked to me when I was 13, 15, I'd have thought, who wants me? You know, and, and you go through these different journeys. You, when you're um, a superstar with 100,000 friends, but then you think, that I want me for the wrong reasons. And now, now you're at peace for yourself. Now you can accept someone else's love. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It was it's mad. And it, it took a lot. Like I was single for so long. Like I I worked in a club in Northampton before lockdown. And you know, I met so many people, but I was still very inside myself. But the friendship okay. group that I, I can totally relate to that. Sorry, Joe. You know, just you saying that then, the way you feel it. Um, you know, I, similar sort of thing. You know, I used to speak to a lot. You know, go out on a lot of dates, maybe two, three dates. But I, I think I could never get past. You know, the point of I don't want them to find out the real me. And then it was that's it. Now, you know, meet the next one or and you know, it's just when you 
you confide in and I think you know what you were saying about your other half definitely the same as mine you know one day I can be you know, running around the kitchen laughing singing you know 50, 20 30 minutes later I'm on the settee you know, like it's finding someone who you can feel comfortable to open up to around that way yeah definitely um it's life life has a funny I don't want to be one of these corny people that says everything happens for a reason because it's the one phrase that does my head in. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, well, it's kind of true. Um, I don't want to admit it, but I, I will admit it. You know, that everyone goes through different things and I had to throw myself into some very hard situations to kind of teach myself how to not be autistic. Don't want that to sound how that may sound, but I'm meaning the social anxiety, the communication issues from, I had to get myself in the mindset where I I wanted to not be classed as different. Yeah. Well, I would be classed as different, but not just, I wanted to have the same opportunities. And I think if you can change that mindset, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, I'm still, every day I'm learning new things about myself I'm having the same doubts about myself and I'm beating myself up but once you can get into that mindset you know think about your struggles but think about why you struggled and how can you change that into a positive and it has a rippling effect yeah it's like like you just said it's like you just said with you know the anxiety thing in in the job I do I'm a, a barber you know, people, when I say to them, I've got social anxiety, you know, I've had people laugh before because they're saying, how can you stand there in front of 20 people with a queue behind you? But I said, in my, sort of my version, I, I feel like I'm in a box there. You know, I feel like there's eyes all over me. And it, and people are like, well, why do you do the job you do? And it's not because I don't like the job. It's just, you know, pressures of everyday life, just different different anxieties and that was the same with me. Like in Northampton, like before lockdown, I was still working in the club. I didn't realize I applied for this job either. It was complete out of the blue. And I got a phone call and I was like, do you know what? I'm sorry for the, for the language, but I, I thought I was going to shit myself. Like <laughs> I, I was so scared. And I, I walked in there and I met like they were my first friends like the the bloke I worked with called, called Tino, his girlfriend. And then the, we had a group of us, five of us, and they all taught me so much. I was kind of accepted in as this little weird kid because I was very like in my box, but it was the best thing I, I did. Like when people said, oh, you seem so, so, so comfortable in your own skin or whatever, like, I wasn't, but it was these different things that I was doing for myself. And I think that's one of the best things anyone can do for for your own self-gain. Uh, not self-gain. Um, self-worth. Self-worth. Um, your own self-production, I guess, Um Things are hard for everyone, but you've just got to you've got to push yourself, especially after all of this. You know, there's everyone's going to be struggling with opportunities and whatnot. Do something different. 
you learn new things every day. Uh, just got to have that self-belief as well and try and turn off that inner critic that is constantly yeah. shouting. I think as a child, you want to be normal. As an adult, you want to be extraordinary. Yeah, and as an, even as a teen, I wanted all the money in the world and live like a rich life and live yeah. comfortably. But I don't pay myself for anything I do. I have my one paid job. Everything else comes out of my pocket. Because for me, the thing that's worth more, yes, keeping a roof over our heads um, and my heads, but it's not not the materialistic things, but the kindness bit. I get so much good feeling just knowing that I might have helped someone. When I get a message through, and I had a message from a lady the other day, like whose daughter followed my page and. It, it doesn't take much. There's more to money. There's more to yeah. these things that people aspire to. Like it's literally just as simple as being kind and just having a nice impact on someone's life and just making a difference. Like it doesn't take much. It might sound confusing all the things that I might have done and like, or how I've done this, but it wasn't. It wasn't rocket science. To be fair, I've not done that much compared to what a lot of other people have. I've just spoken out and we all need to get speaking which is why what you guys do is great like you're having a ripple ripple effect on so many so many people will be struggling i I feel a few years i'm a a good few years old than you and i feel a few years behind you (laughs) (laughs) not at all you've been a busy boy (laughs) (laughs) always like that yeah well could could you tell us about the charity that you're doing at the moment please joe yeah, so Stand Out is, um, is a charity that uh, I co-founded with um, five other people. Um, and that's because of the care system and the lack of support for not only looked after children, children in care, but also care leavers as well. So if I give you a bit of a background, um, in leaving care, it used to be when you reached 21, you'd lose your PA, lose your support and basically be giving your bags and be like, yeah, right. That's fine. It's cheaper, easier for us. Just go. Um, we, like, there was a big, uh, a lot of care leavers came together to get that changed to 25, but there's still issues within that. Cause it was kind of like, yeah, right. We won't call you or whatever with, support you can just call us and we'll just keep you open until you're 25 that's basically when someone's struggling you expect them to pick up the phone it's not that easy um so we still it from a very young age again i think i was 15 um i got my got an award for the work i did with the um children care forums and the care leavers forums and um, I always said, you know, why not? Yes, we've got social services, but why not just run it in a charitable way? Why can't we just have a charity which we can get donations and join partnerships to really make a difference? Um, so Stand Out became a charity last year. Um, and we provide just more resources and tools and implement mental health into a lot of these so 
we're still trying to find partnerships at the moment because we're still very new and with lockdown, unfortunately, with this whole fiasco, it's been less than a year since we've had our charity number. It's not been great timing, but the partnerships that we can create will give people a better chance from the care system to live a successfully independent life and to give them the tools they need to feel good about themselves but move forward in the life without just being given a being bag or just being chucked out because it just it feels so rubbish like yes like I said earlier my situation is different yes I know I was in care but I wasn't in care for the same reasons many were many don't have anyone to talk to many have just been having people in and out of their lives not it feels like they don't want to be known like they're the problem so that we needed to do something to try and stop that and hopefully this won't just be something that's in Northampton you know hopefully we can we can expand this um and it and hopefully it makes a difference well, Marcel, you're just doing a, one, a wonderful job, bro. Thank you. And, keep, and just keep on going. Lee, have we had any comments in today? <clears throat> I've just brought them up on the screen, Kev. Um, no well, I can't see. You, stop picking on me. I can't see. Well, <laughs> I was about to say, no questions, just <laughs> praise. So, yeah, we're all good there, mate. We're all good. But, uh, Thank you. Joe, we've... Um, you do some work as well as ambassador, don't you, for, for, for Kidscape. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so Kidscape were a charity when I was in school that helped me, like, so much from being bullied, feeling alone, isolated. Um, it was someone to talk to. It was going on their site and just reading their quotes but also using their tools uh, that they had. But it wasn't just that. They're, they're also there for parents and carers, they do a lot of work in schools to try and get the message out there and to um, implement change and make schools a safer place. They're trying to make the world a safer place for children and young people. And, um, yeah, so from a young age, from them helping me last year, I um, it was, well, no, yes, it was last year. We're 2021 now. Um, I don't know where this, where time's gone um <laughs> yeah the first month of lockdown um i uh we were in touch we we're doing a bit bit more work together i was giving more mental health advice and the impact of bullying and um i was made an, a charity ambassador for kidscape and um they, they do such a great job um i know you've got the website like floating around down the bottom just check them out give them a follow and yeah, they're amazing. They, they did save my life. Well, bro, it's been brilliant having you on. Um, sorry, I'm Kevin, gonna... no, I, I, sorry. I, I just wanted to ask another question, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah that's fine. We, of course. We, yeah, we no spoke worries. a bit off-air, off um, Joe, about uh, what you're looking to do within schools in the future. Would you like to go into a bit about that? Um, and uh, is there any way that people can help you uh, at the moment? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I really want to make a change to the education system. And I know it's not just me that shares the thoughts, but 
uh, I want to rally the Department of Education to really get mental health implemented in schools from a young age to make it and make schools a more inclusive place for everyone. Realise that being different is okay, but to educate people from primary age about the different conditions and different things that people struggle with because it's okay. And instead of it seeming strange to children at a young age, it's like, oh, okay, I understand it now. And it's not leaving the person out because it's a bit scary. It's not blaming the children for it. It's just blaming the lack of education, but it also cuts that bullying down so much. And moving into adulthood, you think of the effect that will have when this starts from primary age and moving, growing into teens, going then getting a job for the first time. Everyone will just be a bit more accepting of others. Well, I hope so. I, so I, think, re- edu- I think education is a shake up, though, and I've been saying this yeah. to people for ages. We're taught in one way. You read the blackboard, you write. Now, in life, we've got seers who can read that on the blackboard. We've got talkers, let's talk about it. And we've got doers. And because I can't read and write, I'm thick. Or just because I can't have a conversation, I'm a dunce. Or like, we're all different. So why can't we gain A's in how I write numbers, how I talk about conversations? But we've been doing the same form of education since education began. And uh, if I, when I teach boxing, I teach boxing at Lions ABC. If I can't get you to throw a jab properly, whose fault is it? It's mine because I haven't taught you in the right way. Okay, I can't agree with that enough. It's it comes to, even even the pandemic has highlighted this for me. If it was, and I know so many young people want to do their exams. But for me, sitting in that environment, the social anxiety and the quiet, couldn't do it. If you ask me to kind of do coursework with a bit of guidance, give me more time instead of having to rush and complete a paper, I'd have done so much better. And I know this is a difficult time for so many students, but people are so different in the way they learn. One thing that really annoyed me at school, you know, you did a, did a multiplication sum in maths and you were told to work it out but you could only work it out in one way I went home and my my parents would show me a way that I found easier or one of the learning support staff would show me a way that I found easier still got the correct answer yeah did the correct workings out because I didn't do it that way I wasn't allowed and I learned by doing I didn't learn by just sitting back, having to take all this information in, trying to write it down. I couldn't process it. I learned by doing something, and then it would. I, I'd remember all of it. So, what, like you said, why can't we just have an education that's inclusive for everyone that gives people the opportunities? Yeah, so, I, I, I agree with that. But I think you know, I think my other she's a, a secondary school teacher. My stepmom's a secondary school teacher, um, and I did a, I did actually a little bit of work in a secondary school last year. And you know, just listening to what you were saying, then you know, you, there was I always remember, obviously without naming any names, but there was someone who was in, um, you know, he had Tourette's, and he kept getting sent out of the classroom, obviously because he'd say something, you know, kids were laughing, but that would happen to him three times every time I was there. 
And then on the fourth time, someone would get him and take him into a, you know, a boxed out sort of isolation room. And as you've just said, you know, you can't, you can't just have five or six kids in that room all day. And then, you know, as soon as break time comes, say, oh, go back out into the break time now. Then, like you say, that's when the bullying happens. That's when it all starts. And, um, but I've, on the other hand, you know, just listening to my other half, I think that it's, it, the problem is now is the budget. They've took so much money out of schools now. You know, I think she was saying that you know, they can't even afford like uh, notebooks and stuff at the minute. They live, they live in red tape as well. You can't just teach someone something that you find interesting. Yeah. You have to teach them off the curriculum so they can tick a box that the school gets yeah. better rated. It's just it's like a, a league table, isn't it? It's just a league table, really. And it, it, it's, it's, it's just a, numbers and... And just think about, you know what, I'm teaching a history, so let's teach you something. Oh, English. Me. Uh, I can barely read and write, so let's teach me uh, Shakespeare. Why don't you make me read Tupac lyrics or a Spider-Man comic? It's yeah. still reading. Why have I got to learn Elizabethan English that's not written in the right bloody order? Whereas I could read something I take interest in. Muhammad Ali, uh, Joe Frazier. Tupac, Biggie Small, Spider-Man, and you go, wow, I love reading. Yeah. It's, it's even to the point that there's no funding, but there are other ways to do these things. Why can't you get local businesses? Say, like, one thing that needs to be taught in schools is budgeting. You know, when you reach an age where you're going to live on your own, you just suddenly put with all these bills in front of you. Why can't changing a light bulb, DIY, mm -hmm these things or the certain ways which people learn why can't you get local businesses that specify in these certain areas and go look if you can come in either for a little bit of a price or for free we'll give you a bit of a tax break or something you know you're still bringing in money for our economy but offer an incentive but for a way that actually as a country we're not losing money but we are getting talent taught we're getting the skills taught which will also go on in the long term to make more money for the economy as well. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get you back on, Joe, because I feel like we could talk on so many different levels about so Definitely. many different subjects. But Definitely. is there anything? Lovely, guys. No, thank you so much. Has anyone else got anything to say to Joe before we round it up? Uh, just, well, honestly, Joe, I'll take my off to you. you know, did you say he was 23 now? Sorry. 23, yeah. 23, and obviously that would have been 10 years ago then when you set up that first campaign. I mean, I was saying to Kevin Lee before we come on, I think, it, you know, back then, this probably wasn't as easy. I mean, it's not easy to talk about now, but it probably wasn't as easy as it is now. And I just think, you know, to do that 10 years ago at the age of 13, after what you went through, mate, honestly, I'll take my half to you. Absolutely brilliant. No, it means a lot. Thank you. And no same to you guys as well. Like, thank you for just keeping the conversation going and helping so many people that will listen back to this and all you know watch this and what you're doing is great like really applaud your work thank you what i'm gonna i'm gonna now advertise tuesday show just one rambling on think about a saying or quote that's helped you get through life so on tuesday we've got alex um, what, um bloody hell what's his name tris <laughs> the tristian Bloody hell, sorry, Trist. That's a week after, the week after. <laughs> Tristan is going to be coming on on Tuesday, 7.30 UK time, and he's going to be talking about numerous things. He's going to be talking about moving to a different country, being unemployed, anxiety, having his wife who's had miscarriages. But as I said, and I say so many times, 
we're not just one thing. We're not just um, anxiety. We're not just miscarriage. We're a person. All these things form us into being the wonderful person we are. And on Saturday, I'm appearing on WCR-FM, Sky Stewart's show, who's been on the show, and she's always listening to us. And I'm going to be talking about amateur boxing and, of course, mental health. So you can find that on WCR-FM at 11.15. Her show starts at 10 o'clock. So do us a favour and listen to the air before, because you're remarkable at what she does. So, Joe, have you got any quotes or sayings that's helped you get through life? I think, well, I've got a few. Uh, I've got some of them on my, like, tattooed, although that one was spelt wrong. Um, <laughs> one I, <laughs> Stars can't shine without a bit of darkness has always been my quote. Uh, it just relates to a lot of things like no matter what dark time I was in like I had to be that light to find my way out of the tunnel and help others really um life goes on yes it doesn't but it does in terms of you know we all struggle we can get through it um that was spelt goz and I didn't realize I did I get an e added in in there um <laughs> Um, I'm still left with a big apostrophe above the E as well. Um, but uh, don't suffer in silence. You know, that, that, that's a simple one. It's not really a quote as such, but I, I've got that on my wrist because of where I used to self-harm. And it's something I look at that when I'm feeling down or when things get a bit too much, it just kind of prompts my head to go, look, just talk to someone. It's okay. You're not on your own. So, yeah. Stars can't shine without a bit. Uh, stars can't shine without darkness. Life goes on. Don't suffer in silence. Well, once again, thank you for coming on. So, guys, thank you. Thank, so you. thank you for tuning in, guys. So, until we see each other next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Tarara bit. Cheers, guys. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta-ra-ra-bit. Listen, listen, listen.